Hi, and welcome to another episode of A Shot Glass of Recovery with your host, Julie, half of the dynamic duo that brings you the podcast, Two Sober Chicks. Uh, well, y'all, it's been a minute. Uh, 525,960 minutes to be exact, which is one year. Um, that is embarrassing. Uh, not that I assume I am the center of your life, but I have always felt a sense of responsibility to our listenership and to our podcast, and I can't believe it's been a year. Lots has happened in the last year. For those of you who have kept up with my story, I am not a uh, green card holder as of yet. I am still in status. I have been married two years to my husband. We just celebrated our two years this month. Take that, haters! My own sponsor, because I got married in uh, 11 days after meeting my husband, um, she gave me a lot of heat for that, as she should. But I asked her at the very beginning, like, how long do I have to be married before you're going to take this seriously? And she said, two years. We made it. More in love than ever. Um, so I am podcasting to you live from Cedar Hill, Tennessee, which is about a 35-minute drive from um, Nashville, north and a little bit west. It's funny because I was told that Canadians do that. We talk about how long it takes to get somewhere as opposed to how many kilometers or how many miles. So um, before I get started, where I left off with you last year, which was reading the stories from the back of the book, um, I just want to dedicate this podcast to my sponsee who passed away last month from breast cancer. Um it's weird to me when I say sponsee or people give me condolences as a, her sponsor because really, like so many of us, at for a while since she was diagnosed, I became like an older sister, um, a confidant. Um, I discipled her in my faith, Christianity, um, in some ways a mother to her. It was so much more than a sponsor that I almost, almost feel offended when people just refer to me as her sponsor, uh, simply because she took over my life. <laughs> I let her take over my life, which is funny that I say that now because, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, um, and I have no regrets. She taught me so much. She was young, 27, um decided against uh, medical intervention or treatment from the very beginning, which a lot of people had very severe reactions to. You may have severe reactions to know that a 26-year-old woman after a lumpectomy said, I don't want any more medical intervention. But she was very convicted from the very start. And I know she would tell you that herself. I, I'm not breaking any confidence with her. And that was her journey with God on this earth. Who am I to say she made the wrong decision or someone else to say that she made the wrong decision? Of course, her family likely believes that because they would want her around. But she's very, very sure and, and not without her moments of doubt that this was the path that she was going to take. And I tried best to help support her, ground her, give her different perspectives, offer her suggestions. But, you know, if you knew this girl... You know, B, 
B was always going to do what B wanted and she did. So I dedicate this to her. She helped me in my own path with sobriety and life and perspective and faith. And uh, because of our shared faith, um, I rejoice at where she's at. And I know I'll see her one day soon. So I love you, B. You have uh, made an impact on many and certainly have left a space when you went to heaven. So anyways, okay, so we're going to get started. I left off in the back of the book on page 295, part two of the stories. This is story three. And how apropos, the housewife who drank at home. That's my story. She hid her bottles in clothes hampers and dresser drawers. In AA, she discovered she had lost nothing and found everything. My story happens to be a particular kind of woman's story. The story of the woman who drinks at home. I had to be at home. I had two babies. When alcohol took me over, my bar was my kitchen, my living room, my bedroom, the back bathroom, and the two laundry hampers. At one time, the admission that I was and am an alcoholic meant shame, defeat, and failure to me. But in light of the new understanding that I have found in AA, I have been able to interpret that defeat and that failure and that shame as seeds of victory because it was only through feeling defeat and feeling failure, the inability to cope with my life and with alcohol, that I was able to surrender and accept the fact that I had this disease and that I had to learn to live again without alcohol. I was never a very heavy social drinker, but during a particular period of stress and strain about 13 years ago, I resorted to using alcohol in my home, alone, as a means of temporary release and of getting a little extra sleep. Oh, sister, I know. I had problems. We all have them, and I thought a little brandy or a little wine now and then can certainly hurt no one. I don't believe when I started that I even had in mind the thought that I was drinking. I had to sleep. I had to clear my mind and free it from worry. And I had to relax. But from one or two drinks of an afternoon or evening, my intake mounted and mounted fast. It wasn't long before I was drinking all day. I had to have that wine. The only incentive that I had toward the end for getting dressed in the morning was to get out and get, quote, supplies to help me get my day started. But the only thing that got started was my drinking. I should have realized that alcohol was getting hold of me when I started to become secretive in my drinking. I began to have supplies on hand for the people who might come in. And of course, a half-empty bottle that wasn't worth keeping, so I finished it up and naturally had to get more in right away for the people who might come in unexpectedly. But I was always the unexpected person who had to finish the bottle. I couldn't go to one wine store and look the man honestly in the face and buy a bottle, as I used to do when I had parties and entertained and did normal drinking. I had to give him a story and ask him the same question over and over again. Well... Now, how many will that bottle serve? I wanted him to be sure that I wasn't the one who was going to drink the whole bottle. I had to hide, as a great many people in AA have had to do. I did my hiding in the hampers and in my dresser drawers. When we began to do things like that with alcohol, something's gone wrong. 
I needed it and I knew I was drinking too much, but I wasn't conscious of the fact that I should stop. God, me too. I kept on. My home at that time was a place to mill around in. I wandered from room to room, thinking, drinking, drinking, thinking, and the mops would come out, the vacuum would come out, everything would come out, but nothing would get done. Toward five o'clock, helter skelter, I'd get everything put away and try to get supper on the table, and after supper I'd finish the job up and knock myself out. I never knew which came first, the thinking or the drinking. If I could only stop thinking, I wouldn't drink. If I could only stop drinking, maybe I wouldn't think. But they were all mixed up together and I was all mixed up inside, and yet I had to have that drink. You know the deteriorating effects, the disintegrating effects of chronic wine drinking. I cared nothing about my personal appearance. I didn't care what I looked like, I didn't care what I did. To me, taking a bath was just being in a place with a bottle where I could drink in privacy. I had to have it with me at night in case I woke up and needed that drink. How I ran my home, I don't know. I went on realizing what I was becoming, hating myself for it, bitter, blaming life, blaming everything, but the fact that I should turn about and do something about my drinking. I didn't care. I was beyond caring. I just wanted to live to a certain age, carry through with what I felt was my job with the children, and after that, no matter. Half a mother was better than no mother at all. I needed that alcohol. I couldn't live without it. I couldn't do anything without it. But there came a point when I could no longer live with it. And that came after a three weeks illness of my son. The doctor prescribed a teaspoon of brandy for the boy to help him through the night when he coughed. Well, of course, that was all I needed to switch from wine to brandy for three weeks. I knew nothing about alcoholism or the DTs. That's delirium tremens. It's when you shake. But when I woke up on that last morning of my son's illness, I taped the keyhole on my door because everyone was out there. I paced back and forth in the apartment with the cold sweats. I screamed on the telephone for my mother to get up there. Something was going to happen. I didn't know what, but if she didn't get there quick, I'd split wide open. I called my husband up and told him to come home. After that, I sat for a week, a body in a chair, a mind off in space. I thought the two would never get together. I knew that alcohol and I had to part. I couldn't live with it anymore. And yet, how was I going to live without it? I didn't know. I was bitter, living in hate. The very person who stood with me through it all and has been my greatest help was the person that I turned against, my husband. I also turned against my family, my mother. The people who would have come to help me were just the people I would have nothing to do with. Nevertheless, I began to try to live without alcohol, but I only succeeded in fighting it. And believe me, an alcoholic cannot fight alcohol. I said to my husband, I'm going to try to get interested in something outside, get myself out of this rut I'm in. I thought I was going out of my mind. If I didn't have a drink, I had to do something. I became one of the most active women in the community, what the PTA, other community organizations and drives. I'd go into an organization and it wasn't long before I was on the committee and then I was the chairman of the committee. And if I was in a group, I'd soon be treasurer or secretary of the group. But I wasn't happy. I became a Jekyll and Hyde person. 
as long as I worked, as long as I got out, I didn't drink. But I had to get back to that first drink somehow. And when I took that first drink, I was off on the usual merry-go-round. And it was my home that suffered. I figured I'd be all right if I could find something I liked to do. So when the children were in school from 9 to 3, I started up a nice little business and was fairly successful in it. But not happy. Because I found that everything I turned to became a substitute for drink. And when all of life is a substitute for drink, there's no happiness, no peace. I still had to drink. I lost my place. Um, there we go. More cessation from drinking is not enough for an alcoholic while the need for that drink goes on. I switched to beer. I had always hated beer, but now I grew to love it. So that wasn't my answer either. I went to my doctor again. He knew what I was doing, how I was trying. I said, I can't find my middle road in life. I can't find it. It's either all work or I drink. He said, why don't you try Alcoholics Anonymous? I was willing to try anything. I was licked. For the second time, I was licked. The first time was when I knew I couldn't live with alcohol. But this second time, I found I couldn't live normally without it. And I was licked worse than ever. The fellowship I found in AA enabled me to face my problem honestly and squarely. I couldn't do it among my relatives. I couldn't do it among my friends. No one likes to admit that they're a drunk, that they can't control this thing. But when we come into AA, we can face our problem honestly and openly. I went to closed meetings and open meetings, and I took everything that AA had to give me. Easy does it, first things first, one day at a time. It was at that point that I reached surrender. I heard one very ill woman say that she didn't believe in the surrender part of the AA program. My heavens, surrender to me has meant the ability to run my home, to face my responsibilities as they should be faced, to take life as it comes to me day by day and work my problems out. That's what surrender has meant to me. I surrendered once to the bottle and I couldn't do these things. Since I gave my will over to AA, whatever AA has wanted of me, I've tried to do to the best of my ability. When I'm asked to go out on a call, I go. I'm not going. AA is leading me there. AA gives us alcoholics direction into a way of life without the need for alcohol. That life for me is lived one day at a time, letting the problems of the future rest with the future. When the time comes to solve them, God will give me strength for that day. I had been brought up to believe in God, but I know that until I found this AA program, I had never found or known faith in the reality of God, the reality of his power that is now with me in everything I do. Oh, that's such a good story. I relate to so many of those things. It's always good to be reminded of where we came from. Um, my life now, I never even think about the fact that I'm an alcoholic unless I have to identify. And I think back to the end for me, um, very similar to hers. And I just thank God for this program, which introduced me to my higher power and a better way of living. So I really enjoyed my time with you. I have missed you. If you guys want to send an email to us, Lisa and I read them. 
Yes, we do. It's two sober chicks at gmail.com. That's the number two. We are on Instagram at two sober chicks. And I hope to be back very soon with you. And Lisa and I are coming up with our next um, record date. I am pretty rural, and when she has days off of her job, she goes pretty rural. So uh, the internet availability is difficult for both of us. But we never forget about you. We talk about you often, and we uh, are hoping next week to record a few episodes. So hang tight. Keep coming back. We love you. Talk to you soon.